0: wherever you're listening from, we pray this message inspires you to love strong, shine bright, and live free.
1: Well, thank Thanks. Amen. Oh, so good to be here today. you think it was summer, wouldn't you? I got my wa- my nice warm jacket off there and feeling a bit cold now, but anyway, we'll be right. We'll be right. So good to be here. Uh, I've got a number of commitments on today and I uh, I I was sort of feeling a little bit like stacked up on top this morning. And uh, and the Lord just spoke a nice, clear word into my heart. He just said this to me, go out and enjoy your day. Amen. How good is that? How good is that? So much is in our attitude. So good to be back here at the place uh, where my roots are right here in, in the city, right here in this church. The big history of this church. Goes a long way back, even before it was a New Life church, but it came out of roots that were, were a long time ago. I was part of that. And today, to be here, it's a uh, great day for us as a family because this morning, uh, Kathy, my wife, is speaking at Richmond New Life on the topic of free to be me. That's her topic. And uh, John T, our son, is speaking at St. Martin's C3 uh, Church, C3 St. Martin's Church in Christchurch. He's a pastor down there. He's speaking there. And so he's speaking probably around about now. And I'm here. How good is that? Three out of seven ain't bad. Amen. So, great, great thrill, great thrill to be here. I want to talk this morning with you. I want to begin by telling you how Some years ago, I was down at a place in the south of the South Island called Orupuki. And we were driving along the beach. And my friend said, you can drive on the beach, but don't go past a certain point because the sand is softer. We drove, but ignoring his words, we got a bit further. I could tell this car was a little bit dragging a little bit. I thought, oh, I better turn and go back. So I turned to go back and for some reason I thought well the sand would be firmer nearer the sea than up where it was softer so I turned around and unfortunately got stuck in the sand and the water was coming up around the car. Not at first but the tide was coming in and as a few minutes went by. The water was right swirling around the car and going out and swirling around the car and going out. Had it not been for a farmer who was up with his tractor up on the area who had seen it come down and pulled us out, it would have been like so many other cars and that area down there would have found itself out in the ocean. I got myself stuck. And I think that... It is possible in life, with our best of intentions, to get ourselves stuck in one place. And I'm using that as a introduction today to talk to you about the topic, which is don't build your house in the valley. Psalm 23 says, Though I walk, Through the deep sunless valley of the shadow of death I will fear or dread no evil for you are with me, your rod to protect and your staff to guide. They comfort me. See, when we go through valleys in our life, there are some positive things that happen in the valleys. We could say that Not every valley is a negative place. It can be a very precious place. It brings positive things like it protects us from our internal enemy of kind of our wandering foolishness that takes us this way and that way. A valley confines us and it keeps us from our wandering. We have to learn in every valley to embrace uncertainty in our life, knowing that God is a God who will give us perfect peace as we trust in Him in every situation. In many ways, we could say this, that the valley is a precious place where God develops things in our life that he couldn't develop any other way. Because in the valley, we come to know his presence. He said, when you go through a valley, he says, I am with you. In the valley, we come to know his power. For he says, when we go through the valley, the psalmist said, I will fear no evil. We come to know his Protection, because his rod and his staff, they comfort us. The rod beats off our external enemies, while that staff snatches us from harm's way and brings us into the heart of the shepherd. In the valley, we come to know his amazing provision, because there in the valley the river flows, and we come to encounter and to learn to live in the river of God. And there in the valley we come to know his purpose in our life. For we are on a journey, and we have a destination and a destiny to fulfill in this life. And the valley is a place of growth, place of pools, a place of shade from the heat. We grow and we come to know him as our true shepherds. Our priorities are ordered aright. We learn to focus on what matters most and we learn to discover our true values in life. Can we see this? That the valley can be a really positive place. There are are defining moments in the valley. But let me now just give you a word of warning. Though there are defining moments in the valley, we should never let those moments define us and who we are. I remember seven years ago when I woke up with pain in my chest, and realized that I was having a heart attack. Drove myself into Nelson Hospital, which you should never do, by the way, because the sooner you get there and get ambulance care, the better it is long-term for your heart. Got my way into the hospital. Was told you are having or you've had a heart attack right now. You've had it. You've had it, or you're having right now a heart attack. Ended up being told that stents would not do the job because I had about seven areas of constriction in my heart, so I had to go and receive heart surgery, quadruple bypass surgery at Wellington Hospital. It was a defining moment. It was a moment of change. It was a valley. But we must never let our valley define us. We can get stuck in our valley. I can camp around the things I go through. And so that everyone says, oh, that's Steve, he is such and such. Oh, that's Steve, his son, went to jail. Defining moments must never define who we are. Because we can get stuck in that valley. I want you to notice the words that we had on the screen a little while ago. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. God doesn't want us to build a house and live in that valley. He wants us to pass through the valley to the life that he has for us. Yes, we grieve the loss Yes, we go through suffering in life. But God never intends that the suffering would be our dwelling place, but that he would use it for his glory and for his good and for the benefit of the body of Christ and the world in which we live. Because Paul said, the things that happened to me, he says, they worked out for the furtherance of the gospel. And so it is today that God has great purpose in the things that happen in our life. So we move on. Next slide. Dark things happen to us. We can stop there. We can bring the building crew in. We can say, let's camp here, let's stay here. We can even have a nice house in the valley where it starts to feel, this is where I belong. I have noticed sometimes that we can do that with sickness because we love the attention and we love what's happening in our life that some people can actually just stay there and say, well, this is nice. I'll build a house here. I said, I'll take you in through the valley. I'll take you out of that and through that time. Because in that valley, the mist rolls up from the river. And it comes down from the hills. We can find ourselves in such a deep mist that we can barely see from here to the front row. Our vision is blocked. We can feel depressed. And let our depression be a place in which we get stuck and all the time God says don't build a house here why would you choose to live in the valley where you can live on the mountaintop and live in the sun and see views that go from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop you know Psalm 84 verse 5 says blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Verse 6 of Psalm 84 says this, that passing through the valley of weeping, passing through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also fills the pools with blessings. They go from strength to strength, increasing in victorious power. Each one of them appears before God in Zion. Pass through the valley of weeping. Pass through. Yes, hard things happen. Yes, tough things happen. Hard times happen to everybody. It's what we do in the hard times that matters. That we turn it into a place of springs, that we let it be a place of pools. Let it be that we gain strength and God will nourish us and we will come close to God and come to know his presence and his power and his provision and his purpose in our life. Yes, we'll come to know that. And then we will carry on on our pilgrimage, enriched through that which we are experiencing and that which we have experienced. And then you'll be able to minister hope and help and strength to people around you because you've found the God in the impossible moments. And out of that, you have gold, diamonds, riches to draw alongside someone. And without even having to tell them what you've been through, you can come and just stand alongside and minister life them, Paul said, death is working in me, but life is working in you. Let every death experience where it feels like, God, I'm going to die, let it bring life and the Spirit to the lives of other people around about us. You know, when the children of Israel came to the Red Sea, it looked like they were just, there was no way forward. There was the sea in front of them. There was a desert around them. There were the troops of Pharaoh and their chariots and their horses charging up behind them. And in Exodus 14 it says, the Lord said to Moses, why are you standing here crying to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. So I'm reading from the Bible. Tell them to stop crying and go forward. And the very next verse says this. Moses, hold your staff high. Stretch your hand out over the sea. Split the sea. The Israelites will walk through on dry ground. They walk through that sea on dry ground. It says it in Exodus 14, 29, but the Israelites walk right through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Consider for a moment the possibility that if they had stayed right in the middle of that place of victory, Lord, Lord, You've opened up the sea. We're in a great place now. You've done a miracle for me. I'm now free from these Egyptians. Imagine if they'd stopped for a moment and just said, let's stay here. Let's build a house in the middle of the Red Sea. Imagine if they'd got stuck right at that place. We can stop it anywhere and become stuck. But the problem is, a nice house is exactly that, where you can get stuck. We become stuck. And the only people who really get stuck in the Red Sea would be Pharaoh and his chariots. They got stuck and they died right there. And God says, don't die here. I want to take you on from where you are. I believe that God wants to say here right now, right here, right now, God wants to say to some hearts here, you've dwelt here long enough. I want to minister to you, and I want you to move forward. I want you to begin to take steps forward from where you are. Don't keep moving around the mountain. Don't stay where you are. There are some things that will hold us where we are. We get a medical report, and we and we hit, get some bad news. We can stay there. We can get a, have a broken relationship, and we can stay there. We can get stuck with a job loss or a job being restructured. We can get stuck with financial difficulties. When God wants to bring us from a place of financial difficulties to the financial freedom, we can get stuck in our life, with things like family rejection and, and that it seems like all the time that we are just dwelling in that place where we've got family members who reject us. Families are very complex things, are they not? <clears throat> one of my kids said one day about our family, they said, we're such a dysfunctional family. I was offended by it until I realized this, that I don't know any families that are not dysfunctional in some form, in some way. Families are complex, and we can kind of build a house there and say this is how it's going to always be. But the thing that changes everything is God and our attitude. You know, we can live in the realm of depression, we can be offended and live there and so that, so that we just never move out of that place of offense. We never get beyond it and we build a house there. It becomes a valley in which we live. We're offendable, we've been offended and we carry an offense. And so when we meet somebody, we feel offended. as, long as we can feel offended with God. We can say, God, somehow I'm offended because you didn't work things out exactly the way I wanted you to do it. And we and we build a house there, and it defines us. Steve King, the offended one, offended by someone in the church, offended by something that happens at work, and so we dwell there. We dwell on the place where we've been disappointed with our dreams. We dreamed about a different world. We dreamed about a different life. But somehow, some things happened and maybe we made some wrong choices. And we, and we live in this realm of disappointment and we build a house there. And we don't go beyond it. There are so many things that we could talk about are places where we can stop and dwell and find our find our place. God has a much better place for us to live in. So what must we do if we get stuck in the valley? Well, first of all, we must recognize that we are stuck. That's the first thing. Secondly, we're going to learn that we can walk through a door of hope into a different future. Hope, a confident trust with the expectation of fulfillment. To believe that as we sang this morning, God is working all things together for our good and for the good of those who love God and for the good of those beyond our own lives. For our good and other people's good. He's a good, good father. And hope is the anchor of our soul and causes us to view life with a positivity Hope is the anchor of our life, the expectation of good. It holds our mind and our our emotions secure in the possibilities of tomorrow. Hope opens the door to a future of bright possibilities. That I'm not locked here forever. I'm not locked here for the rest of my life. God has a plan, and he's working all things for my good to fit him with a plan that is going to bless not only my life, but the life of my family and the life of the people with which I come in contact. He's a good, good father. and Hope doesn't limit me to the options that I've already tried. God is good all the time. Listen to what it says. He will turn our valley of trouble into a door of hope. Read together from the screen, Hosea chapter 2 and verse 15. I will give her her vineyards from there. And the valley of Achor, the Hebrew means trouble or disturbance, I will give that to, the, to her as a door of hope, an expectation of good, that there will be a fulfillment of that which I've spoken over your life, that there is nothing that will happen in our life that will hinder me from God fulfilling his good purpose in my life. There's nothing. There's no difficulty too big. There's no mountain too high. There's only one thing that will stop you. And that's you. When you lie down in defeat and say, I'm just going to build a house here. Beautiful house, vines growing around the windows with a river I said, I give you a door of hope. We're gonna take steps. And that's the third thing I wanna say is we're gonna walk through, we're gonna walk forward. Next slide. And we're gonna... But then um,
0: through high school, um, the enthusiasm of what I had done began to wane, especially when I started confusing the abundant Christian life with the great American dream. My prayers were so self-centered, like, uh, God, help me to lose weight. God, I need a new boyfriend. God, give me good grades on this test. Unfortunately, I guess I thought I had done God a great big favor by accepting Jesus as my Savior. And I remember right around my senior year of high school, I, I prayed, Lord, I'm not not doing this Christian thing right, and I know it. I don't want to go off to college and defame your good name, smear your reputation. I know it's about far more than just me, so do something in my life to jerk it right side up because I'm really living this life wrong. Just a few weeks after high school graduation, As I was preparing to head off to college, my sister Kathy invited me to go to the beach for a swim. I swam out to this raft, athlete that I was, I didn't even touch bottom, hoisted myself up onto it and then took this really stupid dive into what ended up being extremely shallow water. I snapped my head back when I hit bottom and it crunched my fourth cervical vertebrae, severing my spinal cord. There I was lying face down in the water, desperately hoping that my sister Kathy would please notice that I had not surfaced from my dive. Unbeknownst to me, her back was turned to me. She didn't even see me take that dive. but a crab bit her toe. And it so startled her that she quick turned around in the water screaming to scream me, Johnny, watch out for crabs. And when she did, she saw my blonde hair floating on the surface. I was face down, ready to drown. She came swimming quickly, pulled me up out of the water. And I never I never was so grateful for fresh air. She saved me. But for what purpose, for what reason? Because now, lying there in a hospital, doctors told me I was going to have to sit down for the rest of my life as a quadriplegic without use of my legs or, or even my hands. My hands don't work. And I remember thinking, God, is this... Is this your idea of an answer to a prayer to be drawn closer to you? If it is, you're never gonna be trusted with another one of my prayers again. I mean, I'm a new Christian. How could you have taken me so seriously? I sank into deep depression. I remember there were wonderful Christian friends who came to the hospital and they encouraged me. And one Bible verse they shared was from Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 where God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, but to help you. Plans to prosper you and to give you a hopeful future. God, you you mean you plan not to harm me? Well, what do you call quadriplegia, huh? What's that all about? As I read that verse and the context around it, I realized something. That when God said that, he was saying it to his children who were being dragged away into captivity by by the Babylonians they were going to exile they were going into slavery they had decades in front of them of hard awful suffering and I began to see that God's plans for a hopeful future for me was not necessarily jumping up dancing kicking doing aerobics running walking getting back use of my arms and my legs no God's plans for me go far deeper a deeper healing a precious healing of the soul because as I was pushed into the arms of God every morning and that's the truth even to this day don't be thinking I'm an expert at quadriplegia but as it was then in the hospital and as it is today every morning I wake up saying Jesus, I can't do this thing called life please help me please show up give me your smile give me your strength because I can't make it through the day and because I go to God with that earnest dependency and, and requirement of his grace every single day, I take that back. No, every single moment, <laughs> I experience the sweetest, most precious, most intimate union with Jesus Christ. So in Jeremiah 29, when God says he won't harm us, doesn't mean the body, doesn't mean our circumstances. He's not gonna do anything to harm our soul. Yes, our body may get harmed, but it will somehow serve to enrich our soul. In closing, let me just say that quadriplegia, 46 years of it, that's a long time. I deal with chronic pain. I, um, I had breast cancer a couple of years ago, and I remember, I remember as my husband was driving me home in the van from chemotherapy one day, we were talking about how suffering is like little splashovers of hell, kind of like waking us up out of our spiritual slumber. And then we pulled in the driveway and he said, Well, then what do you think splashovers of heaven are? Are they those easy, breezy, bright times where everything's going your way, where you have health? And we said, No. Splashovers of heaven are finding Jesus in your splashover of hell. And to find Jesus in your hell. Is ecstasy beyond compare, and I wouldn't trade it for any amount of walking in this world. I grew up in a very athletic family.
1: How's that? Isn't there something? Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful out of my life. Paul said, I want you to know, brethren, that the things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. How good is God? Amen. God is good. God is good. All the time, God is good. Not just when everything goes smoothly, but when we go through those rough valleys, still God is good. I would have fainted. I would have lost heart if I had not believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living the goodness of God yes the goodness of God in heaven to come but that verse says the goodness of God in the land of the living and I believed to see the goodness of God I wasn't seeing it it was all difficult it was hard Go through, through, through every valley. God is good. God is good. Just drinking of his goodness. Let him shower his love upon you. Let him shower. Open your heart right now. Your heart be open, God. You are good. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His faithfulness endures to every generation. I spoke here one morning in this church. Some years ago, the night before I've been down to the police station picking up my son Speaking next morning, right here, and experiencing what I'm talking about today the deep pain, the deep pain of being in a valley. One son today preaching in Christ Church. One son who ended up in prison. That's not the end of the world, by the way. That's not unusual, but he ended up in prison five times. That's the value. I would have lost hope had I not believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And now, these years later, I haven't thought about this till right now, That son, two children. He's been out of trouble for I don't know at least a dozen years, maybe more. No no more trouble. Fantastic father. He would make a father proud. But you see, what am I saying this for? Because valleys are not places that we should live in and let it define us, but we should move through the valley, through the valley of the shadow of death, through the valley. Know that his presence strengthens us. And the things that have happened to us work out for the furtherance of the gospel. So this morning, if you're in a valley today, I just want to encourage you. Don't build a house there. Move on through. Move on through. How many today, just while we're sitting in his presence. You just lift your hand to God and say, God, I don't want to build a house in the valley right now I want to move free with your help
0: thanks for listening for more information about Aspire Church find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram or check out our website aspirechurch.org.nz we'd love to see you on Sundays 10am 101 Hardy Street